the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yes, indeed he is, and he's here to say good afternoon to you. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Lifeline, the 28th day of March. Hope you're doing well. Got a good uh, broadcast for you today. We're off to a good start. The Oakland A's won their first home opener against Anaheim for zip. So that's a, a nice way to end the afternoon. And uh, we lead off into a f- pretty full program for you. A little bit later on tonight, our dear friend Bishop Bob Jackson is going to check in. There is a very special citywide Good Friday service that will be taking place in Oakland on um, April the 19th, and we're just kind of giving you some information in advance of all of that so you can make your plans. We'd really love to see anybody in the East Bay who either lives or works. Um, obviously, if you're commuting, you're somewhere else, it might be difficult to, to participate. But certainly, if you work in the East Bay, uh, to come out on Good Friday and um, join together as we mark this important day on the Christian calendar, we encourage you to do so. So Bishop Bob Jackson stopped by. Give us some more details about that coming up a little bit later on in this hour. Uh, We're also going to talk about a uh, new bill here in California that's coming back up for um, consideration, Senate Bill 320, that would uh, compel university campuses across the state of California to provide the abortifacient RU486 uh, to students. This is a proposal that will cost potentially millions of dollars to taxpayers. And, of course, they're leaving out a lot of the uh, obvious questions that need to be addressed. Who's going to take on responsibility for all of this? Who's going to be held accountable if there are complications? And why should taxpayers be paying for this? So we're going to get some insights from Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, who I believe will join us from Washington, D.C., where he's been attending um, some uh, Right to Life meetings there. So Pretty full schedule for you. Speaking of things that you need to be aware of, have you heard about this one? Across the country, in a number of notable communities, including our own of San Francisco, there have been a series of um, events at public libraries. You know, have heard about uh, executives and uh, well-known politicians will go and do a children's reading at a local um public library, kind of a PR, community service type thing. Well, how about this one? Drag Queen Story Hours. Ha! You think I'm kidding. Drag Queen Story Hours held at public libraries. And this is raising some major concerns, particularly after it was unveiled that such an event at the Houston Public Library got shut down when it was far too late discovered that the so-called drag queen who had been uh, invited to come and read to the children turned out to be a registered sex offender. Let's find out what this most recent piece of madness is, 
all about as we're joined by Pastor Sam Rohrer. He is president of the American Pastors Network and produces the weekly radio program Stand in the Gap, heard on radio stations across the country. And Pastor Rohrer, always great to have you on the program. You know, when I first saw this article, and I almost thought it was an item out of the onion. I always thought, most seriously, no one would suggest something like this, but apparently it is not only true, but shockingly so. Uh, Craig, it is absolutely true. And uh, it's been happening across the country. It's been a concerted effort. Uh, public libraries have been the target, just as you said. It's not just where politicians will go to get a photo op. Um, libraries have been targeted uh, in, uh, across the country to have individuals, men, dressed as women in all of the garish garb that you can think of with the long eyelashes and the and the makeup and the hair and the dress just like a woman to come in and to sit down and then to read a book to children young children who come and sit on the floor cross-legged parents surprisingly who will bring them to the library for the express purpose that such an individual in that kind of presentation can read a book, which is, in every case that we know of, is a of a uh, odd uh, sexual nature type of a thing that they, they, they read, and they read the story, and they sit around, and the public library officials we had here in Pennsylvania, close to where I'm at, and, and uh, some were able to be stopped, others were not. Uh, in other states, I know Tennessee, uh, we have a state chapter there. There was a group uh, there, probably about 50 pastors who gathered, and they were able to have that one stopped. But in most cases, uh, the officials of the library seem to have no problem with such a thing. How is and, doing this on, at a public library at taxpayer expense? I mean, it's taking place at taxpayer property. I don't know that these people are necessarily being compensated, but but nevertheless, it's 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 at a publicly financed location. How how is this kind of behavior not even considered to be um uh, child abuse g- given the circumstances? Well, see, that's what when this issue came up in in in, uh, in Houston uh, that's where we said that really needed to be a national attention. And uh, because, in that case, uh, an individual was there, no background check was made. And, and to our knowledge, very few background checks are being made. Yet at the same time, Craig, um, I'm not positive about California, but I know in Pennsylvania and many states, you can't work in a church nursery unless you have a background check. But yet you can have a you can have a drag queen, a man dressed as a woman, actually sit there and reach out and be able to touch a young child. And there is nothing at this point that says that such an individual in such a proximity to children ought to have a background check, but yet churches across this country are required even every nursery worker, every person who comes in contact with a teenager in a church, to have a background check. He said, isn't that odd? And, I, and, and Craig, my sense here is that there's a lot of inconsistencies, clearly. But when I look biblically, I look at that matter and say, what is the principle that Christ laid out with children? Well, 
Matthew 18, 2 to 6, it talks about Christ called a child and said, bring a child to me, and he, he, he talked to them and said, if, if anybody prevents a child like this from really essentially coming into contact, if a child comes to me and the powers that be direct them away, Christ says better that a millstone is hung around that person's neck and they're thrown into the sea then a child is offended, meaning they are moved away or influenced away from the truth of Jesus Christ and the truth alone that can save them and make them whole. And I say, it really is a form of child abuse. And it is shocking to me that parents, in fact, seem not to have much of an issue with taking their children, because in every case, there are dozens that will show up to come because some parents think we really want to expose our children to such an individual and i say in a confusing time like today how can this be but i go biblically and say that's creating an an offense from christ's own mouth and it's a dangerous circumstance. Well, and clearly this is also sort of the frog in the kettle theory at play here, because we've seen this slow march towards the legitimization of this behavior. Uh, we talked about uh, two, three, four years ago that the state here in California, for example, was going to revise the laws that allowed children who were dealing with gender dysphoria to uh, declare whatever sex they felt, quote-unquote, most comfortable with, and then use the bathroom, use the showers, attend the classes, go to the PE or uh, uh, phys ed uh, education classes of their choice without regard to what it says on their birth certificate or what their legitimate gender may be and without regard to what the potential consequences could be at virtually any age. And so we, we've seen this steady movement, this steady creep towards further and further acceptance. And you look at something like this and you have to wonder, where is the educational benefit to a child here but to suggest that somebody seems to think that this is almost in a, a Hitler-esque fashion, a great way to begin uh, influencing young minds? And I, I can't imagine that there's anything short of the goal or motivation behind this than to do just that. I mean, I don't know. Do, do, is it possible to recruit 60-year-olds? Do they even have the concept of what a drag queen is? I mean, they may think, ha-ha, there's a man dressed up in a wig. But the implications to this, as Pastor Sam Rohrer suggests, are far deeper, far more severe, far more abusive. Um, we're going to continue to follow the story. And I hope that concerned parents you ever get wind of something like this going on in your own local public library? Would you please give me a call or send me an email? We'd like to rally support and get a bunch of folks down there to protest such a thing. Uh, again, the potential for, for abuse here at multiple layers, physically and emotionally, is unbelievable. It's a shocking story. As I said in my opening remarks, you'd think we were reading this stuff out of the San Fran- out of the Onion, but instead, no, it's, it's out of the Houston Chronicle. Our thanks to Pastor Sam Rohr, president of the American Pastors Network, for that update. 516, let's get a look at traffic for you on this Thursday. And Nick DiMedici, what's going on out there? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
All right. Thank you, sir. Welcome back to the conversation. Um, We're going to be focusing a bit today's program on the topic of life. And I think very apropos because as much as we've seen some tremendous strides and advancements in the pro-life movement over the last certainly 25, 30 years that I've been involved and and we can celebrate some of the changes on the high court in relationship to um, the more recent appointees who were both decidedly pro-life, there has also been some cause for concern. Cause for concern in that there are some states, almost in anticipation perhaps, of potential movement in the high court to uh, better protect life that seem to be going out of their ways to make sure that life is as disposable as possible, particularly in the arena of life that is considered by some to be inconvenient. Witness, for example, the uh, recent passage of Hawaii's so-called Our Choice, Our Care Act. This oftentimes masquerades as death with dignity, although I've always wondered since death is such a intrinsic part of life, I didn't realize there's a way that you could die without dignity. Uh, unless perhaps you're dying at the hands of a physician who doesn't care about you or at the manipulation of a family member who's more concerned about inheriting your money than uh, the quality of your life. So maybe there's where the dignity lacks, right? Uh, And along with it, the issue of abortion on demand pushed to the extremes, such as what we've seen in New York City, uh, there with New York's late-term abortion, which... uh, (laughs) quite frankly, in borders on infanticide. Let's get a look at some of these trends. Peter Rosenberger joins us. He is host of Hope for the Caregiver, radio broadcast heard on more than 200 stations nationwide. And, and Peter, it just seems as if um, the, the, the death culture in which we live today is moving further and further toward deciding what is convenient and inconvenient when it comes to the value of life, now at either extreme, uh, from the cradle to the grave. What's going on here? Well, I think you're right, and thank you for having me on. Uh, this is an important topic that we need to address as believers. If we're not speaking life to these folks, who are they going to listen to? the governor of Virginia, you know, I've taken care of a wife with severe disabilities now for 32 years. And uh, I, I understand this journey. And and what I, I think what bothers me, Craig, is I think about these families with special needs children. And those of you listening who, who, with a special needs child, you understand this. This could push families to the breaking point. And all of a sudden, they got this governor saying, it's okay to put a severely deformed child off to the side and we'll have a discussion about it. Well, what does that say to these family members? And then you've got this medically-assisted death in Hawaii, and I think now New Jersey is looking at this. There's several more states. More and more states are picking this up, and they're, they're uh, Maryland. I think Maryland was the latest one, and they're doing it, and they're, you know, they're saying it's all about compassion and so forth. Well, up in Montreal, there was a guy that was uh, convicted last year of killing his wife with Alzheimer's. He smothered her with a pillow because he couldn't stand to see her suffer anymore, and he couldn't afford to take care of her. I mean, it was just one of those things just spiraled out of control. And yet, in other states, they're saying it's okay for somebody to go in and check out. And and so th- th- there's all these conflicting uh, messages going out there to people who are in, in really horrible, horrible situations. And if we don't speak with clarity, life to these individuals, then what kind of choices are they going to make? And they're going to vote for anything that sounds like an escape hatch. And that's what it's doing. I think there's just this, this, this all-out rush to avoid pain at all costs. 
And, you know, my wife lives with pain. She's not known a day without it since Reagan's first term. And she's taught me a lot about perseverance and fortitude and endurance. And she certainly doesn't like what she's dealing with, and she doesn't feel good about it. And I don't feel good watching her suffer. She's had 80 surgeries and both legs amputated. I don't feel good about it. She doesn't feel good about it. But we're not supposed to feel good. That's not the goal. The goal is to be better in it, not feel better about it. And, and yeah, there's going to be some things that we have to take with a lot of tears, and it's going to be tough. But that doesn't mean we just go ahead and just, let's take a pill and let's, let's just check out. We're done. And that's the message that the world is sending. If it's inconvenient, abort it. If you don't want it, get rid of it. If it's dragging on, kill it. That's the message that is concerted now from the left in this country. And, and are we as Christians equally passionate and clear on our message of life? Because if we're not, they're not going to hear it from anywhere else. That's and so that that's what that's the way I see this landscape falling out. We as Christians got to speak with great clarity into this, not mealy mouth around. But we can't just say, "Well, brother, we're going to pray for you." We've got to be able to offer real life solutions too, in the midst of this. Well, and you know, when you think about the degree to which there is a degradation of the value of life here, and the tremendous open door for uh, the powerful to take advantage of the weak, and I'm sorry, even, and I'm, I'm not trying to say this by any means, Peter, in in a sense of disrespect for a woman that finds herself in a crisis pregnancy. There's a lot of pain. There's many issues that have to be dealt with in relationship to uh, the, the father and keeping the child to term and, and, and all that that may bring up. But the reality is the mother is in a position of power while the child is not. And the mother is in a position, particularly from an emotional state, to potentially be manipulated by those around her that either feel the child to be inconvenient, not of value, not at a good time, can't afford it, whatever the excuse might be. And so more and more that we see this marching towards abortion later and later and later that it almost bridges upon infanticide, as I suggested in my opening remarks, and then at the other end of the continuum of life, where no doubt as we see ongoing struggles in relationship to health care in America, this issue is far from being settled, that we may reach the stage, especially as many are out there pushing for social, so-called socialized medicine, where we say, look, we have to ration it because it's getting to be too expensive. It's too much of a, a percentile of GDP in America, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to make sure that the, the young and the healthy and those that are still able to contribute to the world are taken care of. But if you reach a point where you've you enjoyed your life, you've raised your kids, you've, 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 um, you've contributed to society, but now you're becoming a burden, we're going to suggest that maybe the kinder, kinder, gentler thing for you to do is to simply quietly go away. I and mean, who's to say that we're not approaching that kind of mentality in society where now all of a sudden there is no one to stand up for the weak, the infirm, or those that are not capable of speaking for themselves? I think I think we are there at that point. I don't think that the whole train is off that cliff, but I certainly think there are people that are pointing it towards it, and that's what they want. And it's always done it with compassion. That's the word. That's the buzzword. Well, it's it's, just, it's compassionate to do this. We don't want them to suffer. Well, you know, nobody wants to live like what my wife has. Nobody would choose that. But her life has value and its meaning. Um, she was hurt in '83. 
And this has been going on a long time. And all I can tell you is yesterday was the 28th anniversary of her first amputation. She struggled with her leg for a long time, finally had to relinquish it, let it go. And then she lost her second one a couple years later. What good could come out of a double amputee woman who's in pain and all that kind of stuff? I mean, that's, those are the questions you ask in those times. And, you know, what, how is this going to work? What good can come out of this? And I was asking that of God myself. But yesterday, I was in the prison with her because we have a ministry that does prosthetic limbs for her fellow amputees in West Africa. And part of that is we collect used limbs that go to a local prison where inmates volunteer to strip them down and disassemble so we can recycle all the usable parts, even down to the screws. And I was watching her with them yesterday. She gave some, some of her older prosthesis she took over there to the shop. And on the day that she would, would, would really mark a sad day for her, she was holding hands with prisoners in a, in a workroom in a prison singing something good, I mean, something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. That speaking with clarity said, you know what? We don't understand all these terrible things that happened, but we're going to trust God with it and watch him weave something extraordinary out of it. And now I look at amputees that are walking over in Africa because this woman trusted God with something horrible. That's the message we've got to, as believers to offer into people's lives to say, trust God with this. He loved you enough to give his son for you. Trust him with this. You can trust him with this. It's going to be painful. You're going to cry. It's going to hurt. We're going to cry with you. And you can't abandon him. You can't just say, be warm and be filled with the Spirit, as it says in James. You've got to, stay, you've got to bear one another's burdens, walk with them through this thing, look for practical help to do it. And, and that's what I do with all the caregivers that I talk to. I want these caregivers to know, okay, look, it's not enough just to say, well, brother, I'm going to bring you a meal, or I'm going to pray for you. Well, what are you going to, you know, that, that, that doesn't help much in the sense of what do you do with somebody who's going into seizures on a regular basis or has dementia and they're, they're cursing you and, and, or grabbing you or choking you. They're, they're, they're practical things we can do as believers to offer life to this thing. You don't want to just tell somebody not to have an abortion. You want to help give them a path towards adoption and a path towards some type of uh, sustainable life for this child. And it's not enough to just stop them from having abortion. Not dying is not just the goal. It's living. And how are they going to live if they don't understand the power, the life, the transformative power of the gospel in a way that makes sense where they are? And certainly, I think, too, Peter, uh, giving them a sense of voice, a sense of purpose. Uh, I, I'm reminded, you, you spoke of the challenges that your wife has been facing. I'm reminded that we heard just yesterday that Johnny Erickson Tata, uh, the founder and president of Johnny and Friends, has been readmitted to hospital. Some listeners know that she has been struggling with the second diagnosis of breast cancer um, over the last, I think, five, six years now, and uh, on this second round and dealing with with a second incident of um, cancer has been uh, really challenged by the impact of the chemotherapy. So she's back in hospital. Think of the millions of people that her life has touched. Think of the incredible way in which she has brought about a sense of value and purpose and meaning to the lives of so many individuals that are suffering from a variety of maladies, whatever it might be. And how different the world would be were it not for a Johnny Erickson Tata, that in and through her pain, her tragedy, God has been glorified and many people have been uplifted to see and appreciate 
and hold on to the value of this thing we call life. Pray for Johnny, by the way. I want to mention that uh, Peter's got a great website where you can get uh, some support and, uh, and a sense, really, of having somebody come alongside you in the middle of your ministry as a caregiver. His website is called HopeForTheCaregiver.com. That's HopeForTheCaregiver.com, and uh, we hope you'll, uh, you'll check it out. Our thanks to Peter Rosenberger, the host of Hope for the Caregiver, for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. All right, let's move quickly because we're getting behind the times here to the KFAX Traffic Center. Get an update on your Thursday commute with Dick, Nick Domenici. Nick, what's going on? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. There are broader aspects of this issue of respect for and value of life, as we suggested in our conversation a few moments ago with um, Pete Rosenberger. It's not just what happens from cradle to grave, but is everything in between as well. Um, helping people understand the value of life and to see hope even in the depth of their pain and their circumstances is another important part of this message as uh, as he referred to a moment ago and i'm sure that my next guest will underscore witness for example a handful of of tragic uh, suicides that have occurred um, some of which have been related to um, recent larger tragedies um, Two cases I, I refer to students that survived the massacre at Parkland, uh, Florida, uh, there at the uh, the school, um, the mass shooting there, and then only uh, within a period of time to take their own lives. Some might this write this off as post-traumatic stress disorder, dealing with survivor's guilt, who knows what it is. But whatever it is, um, we need to speak up. And we need to give clear, loud voice to the notion of the value of life. I know one of the big challenges that many people face with, and if you've ever had um, the, the horror, the tragedy of suicide touch your life, oftentimes it is wrought with questions of, uh, why didn't we know earlier? How could we have known? What could we have done differently? Tom Shakely joins us now, Chief Engagement Officer at Americans United for Life, Tom previously served as executive director of the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network. He is a member of the American Society for Bioethics and Humanities and a National Review Institute Washington Fellow. Tom, thanks for being with us today. I guess this is really one of the big challenges uh, that that, uh, that sense of survivor's guilt when suicide has touched your family and you're just wrought with the struggle of trying to answer the questions of how and why and what could we have done differently. That's absolutely right. Yeah, and thanks for uh, thanks for having me here. There's there's so much that that affects us with this issue uh, as a as a life issue across the whole spectrum of life. You know, it really comes down to uh, a question of meaning and a question of witness. Uh, how we are bearing witness to one another in each other's lives. One of the things I think that that's problematic is that our culture today. Um, has sort of given the green light endorsement to a sense of devaluing of life. I mean, let's face it, murder, death, mayhem, 
fills our entertainment from movies, television, video games. We see it on the 6 o'clock news, wars and rumors of wars that swirl around us all the time. Uh, We have a devaluing of life in terms of making physician-assisted suicide easier, um, allowing abortions to take place almost at the point of birth. And so I suppose at a level, a person who is distraught and dealing with very difficult um, crushing emotional pain may perhaps look at many of those subliminal messages that they've been subjected to for a lifetime and say, well, you know what, why is it worth it? Maybe maybe, maybe the way to ease the pain is to just check out because it's so overwhelming and the message that they have so often received is, is a devaluing of life anyway. That's exactly right. Yeah, I think, you know, there's such a, there's such a temptation in our time uh, you mentioned uh, physician-assisted suicide. There's a temptation with all these things to sort of bracket out and to think, uh, you know, well, we can call one thing, you know, X and one thing Y, and we can kind of treat them differently. And suicide is is one of those issues, unfortunately. The, the, the recent Parkland uh, acts uh, so unfortunate and an example of that, of that crisis of, of meaning and a crisis of witnessing each other's lives, a crisis of uh, a lack of neighbors and, and maybe others, uh, there uh, to counsel, to love, to see even. You know, we're, we're more connected than ever, hypothetically, but uh, in practice, sometimes we're more disconnected than we'd like to think. And a lot of this does relate back to, to things like depression. Um, you know, there's a, a number of studies on this stuff that, that are so important to, to, to heed. One of them uh, was published in the New York Times in 2012, uh, who's a, a sort of a person we look to, Ezekiel Emanuel, uh, spoke specifically about the risks of suicide by physician. Uh, and he made the point that if you look at, at data from countries that have permitted this widely, um, some of them in Europe in particular, uh, Dutch researchers are what Emmanuel had highlighted. Uh, of about 140 terminally ill patients, a study found that uh, depressed patients were four times more likely to request euthanasia or physician-assisted suicide. Um, so four times more likely to request a form of suicide, that's a challenge to us to recognize that there are always vulnerable people in our midst and that, that no form of suicide, assisted by a physician or by other means, uh, is something that we want to condone in a life-affirming society. And we can do a lot better in terms of building social constructs, law and policy, uh, and, and a whole host of other things to ensure that people who need help are getting it. I think that's what we all seek. How do we go about doing that? I mean, I, I, I made reference to, Tom, the, the agony that survivors have to deal with, um, family members who uh, on the heels of, of a family member taking their own life oftentimes deal with the, gee, we didn't have a clue, we had no idea, if we'd only known, we could have done something differently. How can we do a better job? How can we be more sensitive? Well, the first the first step is, I think, you know, uh, on the cultural end, the first step is to realize that there are resources there. Uh, you know, Americans United for Life uh, recently launched a suicide prevention uh, campaign. Uh, we have information available on our website at AUL.org. We have a live chat function for people who are looking for resources, looking for information. Um, and we also, uh, you know, connect with a bunch of, uh, of really great national resources there's a great organization, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, that does incredible work, has been around for a long time, uh, and are really peerless in that work. There are other groups, like you mentioned, uh, the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network, that do particular work uh, for persons along the lines that I mentioned, uh, you know, of the of previous studies, 
of folks who maybe are facing medical issues. Um, maybe they're facing what could be a terminal condition or maybe just a chronic condition that's going to change what their life looks like on a day-to-day basis. And they need help. They need a sense of perspective. Maybe they need to talk to somebody who's been in their shoes before uh, for guidance on how to encounter those issues and, and how to overcome them um, or accept them with, with a grace um, and so forth. So there, there are a whole bunch of resources there at AUL.org and, and elsewhere. It really starts with, with looking. Um, so that's on the cultural end. And on the political end, I think it's, it's crucially important, as I was alluding to, not to distinguish and try to carve out uh, certain, certain forms of suicide as if certain forms are acceptable. You know, as if, for instance, uh, you know, in some states and some jurisdictions, there's a push to permit, uh, to carve out in law uh, forms of, of suicide by physician or suicide by fatal overdose uh, that would be permitted if a person is facing even debilitating or chronic conditions, not even necessarily terminal conditions. Uh, and so, you know, these are things that are often dressed up. They're called things like medical aid and dying laws. They're called, you know, um, uh, uh, assisting laws, things like that. But really what they are at the end of the day, uh, they're just another form of suicide uh, because they're, they're helping somebody uh, to do something that intentionally ends life. And so, you know, instead of focusing on the means by which we're doing that, whether that's with the, with the assistance of a physician or with, you know, legally prescribed pills, for instance, we want to focus on what the intent is, and you know we're, we're making that effort on the political end uh, to ensure that the intent in medicine should always be to care, should always be to treat uh, conditions that are treatable, uh, and to palliate uh, conditions that need to be palliated. Having seen and experienced this in my own family, I have to tell you that perhaps the most important overarching message that we can share with anyone who is facing whatever the challenge might be depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, health issues, whatever, um, to not give up hope. And we have to hold out hope as that important beacon. Um, As Tom mentioned, there are resources available. You can educate yourself online at AUL.org. That's Americans United for Life, AUL.org. Also mention if you or someone you know is struggling with thoughts or feelings of suicide and you feel as if you're hopeless, Uh, There is hope, and there are people that care. And you can contact the National Suicide Prevention Hotline toll-free at 800-273-8255. That's 800-273-8255. Our thanks to Tom Shakley, Chief Engagement Officer with Americans United for Life. Six o'clock from KFAX. Let's swing over to the KFAX Traffic Center, get you updated on some traffic. Nick Domenici has the latest. Nick? Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.